All right. Good evening, y'all. Hope your weeks have been off to a good start. As always, it's a pleasure to have y'all listening in with us today for another episode of Destructuring Tech, the place where we hand the microphone to people from all over the tech world, um, both new and experienced developers uh, and people with different experiences. Diversity is key whenever talking tech or anything for that matter. So again, thank you for being here and listening in. Last week, we had Samantha Brown, a student finishing up at Turing, sharing her experiences in her career transition from being a park ranger to a software developer. She also caught us up on where she's been working, uh, what she's been working on, the, the brand new Code with Joan workshop that's happening on October 16th, as well as what she's looking forward to in her future career. I had a great time and hope you can find some time to check out that episode if you haven't already. I'll also note that last week's episode is finally on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Uh, it did take me a little bit longer than expected due to some lovely technical issues with the distribution, but that problem has been resolved and we should be good moving forward. Apologies on that and thank you for your patience. Uh, you can expect this episode to also be on those platforms shortly after the stream today. If you are watching us live, make sure to drop a line in the chat. Questions and comments are always welcome. Uh, but let's get started. Um, I'm Travis Rollins, an instructor from the Turing School of Software Design, and I'm super excited to have two stars on the show today, uh, both Ellen Mary, the Senior Director of Programs at Turing, and the man himself, Jeff Casimir, the Founder and Executive Director at Turing. Thank you both for making the time to be here. I know it's a, it's a busy time between finishing up the last week of the inning at Turing and uh, looking ahead at the next one, but uh, how are y'all both both doing? Doing how? How are y'all both doing today? Words are hard today. I'm I'm doing great, Travis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I like. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Ready, ready for week six. Ready to get into intermission and all that. Hell yeah! I I have to ask what what does week six look for look like for y'all? Like instructors busy doing assessments, students doing the same thing. What about y'all? Well, I spend week six planning ahead for next inning, looking at, uh, we always do an end of inning retro on Fridays. So while students have the finished, they are done with their work, they have graduated, they're promoted to the next inning, they are getting ready for their intermission time. We bring the whole staff together. And so I spend a little bit of time to coordinate what that's gonna look like and what we're gonna be doing during that time and make sure that we're set up for the next inning that we have all the changes in place, that we have all of our accreditation pieces wrapped up for the inning. Um, so a lot of planning ahead for the next inning and, and making sure things close out in a really, really productive spot. Nice. Yeah, those meetings, you've never had a meeting until you've had a meeting with Owen Mary. So always great. Always appreciate the the work and plans that you put into that. So uh, how about you, Jeff? That's what week six look like. Uh, it's not so different than the other weeks. A lot of like one-on-one -on -one meetings, a graduation on Thursday. So um, that's always kind of like on my mind in a way. And then, yeah, doing retro stuff on Friday, trying to have something smart to say for State of Turing. And then um, what always happens to me is like through week six, it does kind of feel like one thing after another, like, okay, do this next thing. You got it. No problem. Like focus and then get to the end of retro. And then I'm 
every single time. I'm just like, <laughs> it's over. Okay, wait, now what? Like, yeah, intermission week. What am I doing? Where am I? You know, just what's going on? So, um, but yeah, it it used to be in the olden times like a very stressful week, but now hopefully. I mean, for students, I guess it's still stressful, but for staff, hopefully, it's like not that bad. Busy. I suppose it depends. It's busy busy. And, and hopefully less yes. stressful. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well, I love that. Well, awesome. Um, you know, I think there's very little introductions that we really have to do, but I still want to start out with some of the formalities, just because you know, I think uh, for our listeners, whether it's it's students or other people um, outside of Turing, you know, they know of you, but maybe less on like who you are or like exactly like more about you personally. Right. So uh, I want to kick it off first to to Ellen Mary first. Um, you know, you've had a few titles over the years while working at Turing. You're currently the senior director of programs, but you've also been the instructional development manager and director of professional learning. What do all these titles mean and like i'm just curious to hear like what how has your role kind of evolved uh since you started at turing i think it was like five years ago right five years, yeah i just hit my five years in august so that's a great you question tell travis about how great it was when you got hired this yeah it's one of our favorites so stories. this is a good story yeah so um I had uh, recently left my role at Teach for America. I was the um, vice president for the Colorado region and, and Teach for America. I was spending a little time looking for what my next big thing was and happened to uh, get connected to Jeff through our Teach for America alumni network. We, we both did Teach for America a long, long time ago and got to meet ago. Jeff a long, long time ago. I won't, I won't say exactly when. And got to meet Jeff the, in the summer, um, and he basically said, "I'm not, I'm not really sure what this job is going to be, but I think I need someone to come in and kind of be an instructional coach, work with our instructors, think about ways we can make things better. How does that sound to you? Would that be interesting?" And I said. Well, I mean, Turing itself sounds really interesting. He uh, sold me pretty pretty easily on the mission of the organization and uh, got to, to spend time in the old basement, which was um, a unique experience. And I just thought, if anyone wants to work here, this must be a great place to be because it was uh, quite, quite the environment to walk into. Uh, meaning it was Special legitimately legitimately in a basement with <laughs> with all the things you can imagine in a Denver basement. Um, yes. And so when I started, uh, he actually called me and said, well, I'm not really sure if you'd be interested in this. We have someone else who we're also interested in, but would you be, would you be open to working for a six week contract? And I was said, I guess so. <laughs> so, we started off on a six-week contract. I was really coming in just to Six help. weeks is a really pretty short contract. Is that what it <laughs> short was? contract. Yeah, it was yeah, a six-week yeah. contract. Yeah. Um, and so came in and really just, you know, my first role was looking at instructional practices, thinking about, um, at the time, you know, we were in an in-person program and 
uh, instructors were coming from all different backgrounds. And so really trying to bring in some pedagogy and some best practices around uh, instruction and delivery and curriculum and lesson planning. Um, and so I spent the first three weeks just like just building relationships with all the instructional staff and sitting in a, I sat in on every classroom uh, and just was absorbing all of the things. Um, and eventually, uh, people ended up liking what I was saying and liking mm -hmm. what I was bringing to tolerate. the table. Maybe we could say tolerate. Got, got it, got a full-time offer. And so did that for probably six months. I think I was doing that work. And at the time, Turing was, you know, we'll, we'll talk about growth and Turing at the time. I think Turing was just sort of at this stage of um, having a lot of really good core components, but not having a ton of systems and structures in place, um, not a ton of real ways to build on the collaboration. A lot of it was like head down, get through things, make sure students are having a good time and learning a lot of things. And so I really came in and was able to bring just some perspective on what it could look like for us as a as an instructional team to have better a few better practices as a staff to think about our weekly retros what are the things that are important to us how do we talk about things we want to improve um, and through that then uh, moved into a director role and got to sort of really look at all of the professional learning that was happening for students uh, for staff for instructors in particular running sessions and um, workshops on instructional methods uh, and over time, just continue to see more and more opportunities of things we could improve and set up and create and bring in more of these really solid research-based best practices. And so uh, eventually that, that moved into overseeing all of the programming. And so I get to work with uh, our wonderful directors, Alex and Will, on the front end and back end program and really think about the program as a whole from the time that we get them in that mod zero or the pre-program from the time they go to the employment team and really think about how do we ensure that we just have a really strong program overall. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that Jeff's uh, sale on the, the, the position was, was spot on. Um, and he yeah, knew, he he for five years. So. Heartstrings. There, there are parts she leaves out, you know. So <laughs> at the time, I will tell you, Travis, we had a very small team. Uh -huh. And I was like, I think we should hire someone to do this job. And the rest of the team was like, no. And I was like, yeah, no, I hear you. But also, I think it's a good idea. And they were like, yeah. mm hmm, no. I was like, okay, well, here's my compromise is <clears throat> I'm going to do it anyway on a six week, I guess, contract and see what happens. And they were like, well, I guess you're in charge. So that's what I did. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just um, playing hard to get. I was actually advocating for Ellen Mary. And then, well, at least when the other person turned us down, no, I'm just kidding. Um, when Ellen Mary <laughs> was the top choice, obviously it is, it's just funny. It's funny to try and understand like the growth and change of an organization and of a team over time. Like there wasn't this way we have Turing set up now with kind of a 
business operations team and an academic team. Like we didn't have that at that time. And there also wasn't any like roadmap hierarchy thing that we were striving for. It's yeah. Like somebody like Ella Mary has had a bunch of different jobs because it just keeps like growing and changing and changing, changing needs, changing, um, sizes of things right and like not even not to mention like adding second programs and going on from there and so forth and so yeah i think now i feel good about the structures we have for the most part and it wasn't obvious at any step what the right structures were those are the kinds of things where it's like you just try some stuff and hope it works and then change it if it doesn't yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I can only imagine, especially, you know, thinking about it, like uh, having only a few staff kind of like maybe in the beginning, like everybody's kind of doing their own thing. But as that expands and as that grows, if you don't have those systems, if you don't have those ideas and someone to kind of uh, blend all those pieces together, even if there's differing opinions, right? Like um, things can fall fast uh, at that point, right? So um think that was the right decision and uh yeah just excited to have you here so um well cool i'm i'm curious to hear more jeff you know i know some students have heard this story before but you know uh, i think it's important to kind of reflect a little bit on the past before kind of thinking about the present and then of course the future um so i'm curious you know jeff you being kind of the head honcho of turing and you know being the founder of turing could you kind of give us like the Cliff Notes version of the background of, of your your background and the background of like kind of how Turing came to be? Yeah, yeah. Um, he said Cliff so, Notes version. Yeah, that's so the twenty minute version. That's what he meant by that. <laughs> it's only an hour uh, podcast. It's only an yes. hour. I used to teach high school, and it was. At the time, I would say, like, the m- most important thing I had ever done. Um, I had these these kiddos, and they were, like, my kids before I had kids. And I, I had the privilege of working with a group of students for four years all through high school <clears throat> and seeing them off to graduate and get jobs and all that. It was just uh, a, l- a really life-changing experience to see what people can make of themselves when given love and support and opportunity and a couple gaps filled in here and there and a lot of wind at their back. And when I chose to leave education, I got to a spot where it's like, I, I honestly, I just needed to earn more money. Like uh, after six years in the classroom, five years in the classroom, I think I was getting paid $46,000 and it just wasn't going to like take me where I wanted to go. Um, and so I started doing this corporate training stuff and going into classes, teaching programming for a couple days or a week or two weeks and made a lot of money doing it and really got, you know, I used to joke like people say, um, like, earning a lot of money isn't everything. And I would joke like, yeah, but maybe I should try it, you know, just to, just to make sure. And, and so I, I did that. Um, 
And it really wasn't that great other than paying off like our student loans and all those kinds of baggage and got to the spot where I was just really missing getting to do work that helped someone change themselves. And so then was really on my mind of how do I get back to that place without giving up everything that's good about this kind of post uh, public education life. And so crafted this opportunity with a good friend um, back in DC to start Hungry Academy and train these people. He had asked me the question, this like kind of infamous question. I remember, you know, I remember the room I was in when I was on the phone, it was an actual physical phone with him. Uh, And he said, if you had really smart people who don't know anything about programming, how long would it take to turn them into job ready software developers? And now in 2021, that's like a normal thing, right? You did it, Travis. Many other people have done it. And in 2011, that wasn't a thing. You couldn't, you didn't do that. No one did that. The only two paths to becoming a developer were getting a degree in college or being self-taught, which was kind of like read a bunch of books and write some random stuff and then hope that someone gives you a job, even though you're clearly not qualified for one. Um, and so, yeah, I said, I thought, I thought we could do it in six months and we launched this hungry Academy program and, and that had 24 students and they all got hired in the end. We're like, okay, guess there's something to it. And then came out here to Denver to start like a tuition based program uh, with some business partners and that worked out for the students, but not so much for me, like having business partners as Ellen Mary will attest over and over. I'm not the easiest person to get along with. Um, as all my former bosses will tell you, no, thanks. Um, and that was yet one more opportunity where my partners and I did not see eye to eye. And I was like, you know what? I'm out. And so got to start over with Turing and yeah, just had like some momentum and a couple people who believed in what we were doing and started up in this. I mean, it is funny now to talk about the basement and the olden days. And I remember interviewing Ellen Mary down there and like having these spots where the mice would run across the ceiling and knock dust and shit onto your desk. Uh, during a night. So we'd have a vacuum on the desk. You could dust bust your desk in the morning. And it was ridiculous. And also it was ours, you know, and it was kind of like getting your first house or your first place to live on your own and being like, okay, this is maybe not, this is not the dream, but it kind of is, you know, it was like our little clubhouse. And uh, thankfully a lot of, people were willing to come hang out down there with us and then get launched out into great careers. And then we just kind of keep doing it ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I, I appreciate you kind of sharing on that and that's, yeah, it's interesting to just kind of hear about the, the beginnings of all of that. Cause like, I don't know, it's a very different place these days, right? Where we're turning is, and there's a lot more, uh, luxuries i think we we have as as a team as oh, yeah. um, such as paychecks that come all insurance. the time and health insurance <laughs> and all those yeah. you know it's something i mean it's it's the same as talking about the story of Ellen Murray getting hired 
I, I think just one of the really interesting phenomenons in life is how when you get it right, it looks obvious in retrospect. And when you're making the calls, it's not obvious. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Yeah. Trial, trial I, I and error the, and iteration. The, for sure. I'll I'll add to that. I think like the piece that is so right and and you ask anyone about what makes Turing special and you think about this mission, right? It's it's everything that we do is focused on students. And I think that's the piece where we had to keep saying, is this is this creating better things for students? And and if if that wasn't happening, we had to make a lot of adjustments really quickly. And I think that's one of the pieces that is different from a for-profit and it is different from, you know, people who say, I, I gave you this money, so you should do it this way. Um, and that to me is just a really special part of why we've been able to iterate and iterate and get to a fancier basement at one point, not, not an upstairs. Eventually yeah. we got one room with windows, but yeah. we got to a fancier basement with more room and more space and less mice. And it was, you know, it just constantly. Very rare back. mice in the fancy basement. There was like yeah. one or two. I think we brought them. I actually think that we brought oh. the mice in there when <laughs> awesome. we moved over, which is a hundred percent possible. Yeah. But I think that's the piece that's, that was so different, right? It's like all the pieces, yeah. every decision was around like, is this doing, are we doing better for students? Are we seeing better outcomes? Are we, um, you know, are they learning more? Are their projects better? Or do, what do employers say? And I think that's been something that's really the guiding part about everything that we do in this space. And it, it allows us to at least, we still have no, there's so many times where I feel like we still don't know what is the best, but it, it is the guiding piece to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll just say, uh, yeah. like, you, oh, you know, that decision-making is the hard part of launching a thing, of growing a thing, of sustaining something. And <clears throat> when I look back on the time we've had so far, the reasons that most things we did were successful was because of, like, a purity of context in the decision-making. That decision-making isn't influenced by what this outside party says or what this company says, you know, or, I mean, I would, <clears throat> it will not surprise you. There are plenty of times I lie about Turing. Uh, people from the outside be like, oh, you work with employers? And like, yeah, we work with employers. And like, and so they tell you what you need and then you teach that? I was like, yeah, no. Like, employers don't know what they need. We figure out what they need and then we tell them what they need, right? Mm. If I had waited around to figure out what employers needed, they don't know. And every employer is a little bit different. So how are you going to do that, right? By having, by having like our own space, our own expertise, or uh, to like believe in each other is a way to make decisions to say, okay, what, what do we think is best for students? And let's go ahead and do that. And there's no, but what about, but what about scale? But what about, uh, you know, marketability? But what about what the investors are going to say, et cetera? It's like, don't worry about any of those things. Most of them don't exist. So then you have this like purity of context, if that makes sense, that all these things that are not pulling you off the road, you just like stay straight. 
I think it's interesting, and I I want to focus more on this context piece because I think that is like key. I think it's easy, like for for you, Jeff, Ellen, Mary, like you've been here for a while. For myself, I've been a student and I've been working here for a few years, but um, I don't think you know for for people who've only gone through program or maybe only seen like little pieces of that i think it's hard to catch like what is this context or what are these things like y'all mentioned like going shifting to a two-year program for many current students right and students even from the last couple years it's always been a two two program thing so i'm curious like just to hear a little bit more um whoever wants to kind of kick this off but you know i think there's been a lot of shifts um, and a lot of growth, uh, just even to this point now, whether it is going from one program to two programs, uh, focusing more and more on project-based learning, uh, you know, even the growth within staff. We were just talking right before we started the show, um, and y'all mentioned it, like, there weren't that many staff in the beginning, right? And now we're like, what is? what were you saying, Ellen Mary? 47 staff? 47, working? yeah. Yeah. So there's been a lot of growth that's happened. So I'm just curious to hear like what some of the context on like how those, how you kind of made those decisions. How did you know it was like time to expand and grow? How did you connect with investors like that? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one thing to say like, we're going to do this thing and ignore all these other pieces. How I, I think there's more to that. Right. So one of the what do y'all think? parts that has surprised me in in this last decade and a half or so about being being around small businesses and tech world and so forth is how many people, how many founders or founding teams are okay with not knowing how to do parts of the business. So, you know, there were programs like Turing that were started by people who didn't know how to code, which is okay in principle, except then it starts to set up some weird questions like, so you don't know how to code, so you can't teach programming if you don't know about programming. And so you're going to start a business where you can't do the most essential job at the business. That seems weird. Uh, you remember Voltron? Travis, the little robots, oh, yeah. and they all become a giant robot. I think of a big part of our growth strategy has been like a reverse Voltron, where it started out and it was me and Jorge and Josh Cheek, and it was like I could do every job, and I did every job from marketing, hiring payroll, bank, whatever, to teaching, coding, writing projects. And I'm not saying I did them all well, but I was able to do all of them. And then as we grew and as the need developed, I could just like take one arm off and be like, now grow into a whole person. And then boom, here's like an instructor. Here's uh, someone doing admissions. Here's someone doing finance. So like, here's all these different pieces, right? And so that's essentially been the staff growth strategy over time is it's, it's relatively rare that we add brand new things. It's just that we take things we were already doing and make them a job. 
Right. And, and even in some, um, I don't know, I guess the, the like widest fringes of that, like I think about having a, a full-time counselor on staff now, like all of us in instructional roles have done plenty of ad hoc counseling. We just decided at some point to have someone who was a professional do it. Right. And the same thing with uh, like, we're changing how we do interviews right now. And it's like, everyone has done interviews. Everyone has enjoyed some interviews and hated some interviews and got tired of doing interviews. And <clears throat> as the job grows, eventually you figure out how to make it someone's job. How do you make marketing a job? How do you make teaching front end three a job when at the beginning, right? It wasn't, we didn't have anchors. We didn't have any of that stuff. It was just, we would meet on Friday, all the people who were teaching, look at the lessons we had scheduled for the next week and be like, I got this one. I got this one. I got this one. I got this. And it's like, oh, that was dumb. like, it doesn't work very well. Right. And so fix it and fix it and fix it and grow it um, in response to those needs. Like see what are the places that students aren't getting what they need or where are the places that staff are doing too much. Right. And how do you like take some of those parts and say, okay, like, Instead of this being your fifth job, let's make it somebody's first job. Yeah. Does that seem right, Elmer? Yeah. yeah. And I think with each of those, we've been able to, there's this consistency, right? It, as we've gotten certain things more consistent, the student experience more consistent. It also opens up the opportunity for us to say, okay, now let's, let's actually proactively decide what is the next place where we can have a really significant impact or we can get a high return on investment or we can think about this one piece. And I think we're in a really unique place now where for a while that, as, as Josh said, right, the growth was like, we, we need to like, we have to keep, we have to keep the plane flying. Like we need someone to do this because we have to keep the plane flying. And, you know, in most startup spaces, I think, people can only do that for so long. You only have so, um, so much energy. You only can miss so many hours of sleep. You can only do so many things before it becomes really unsustainable. And I think those are the moments where you can really crack your organization because you're now you have all these people who are really tired, they're doing too much. And now your, your product or what you're trying to accomplish starts to really suffer from that. And I think as we have been able to have this more consistent student experience and really we've, we've gotten better at certain things and it makes it, it gives us the space now to say, what does it look like? What is the next thing? What is the next area that we need to give some attention to? Because it's fine, but it could be great. And if it's just fine right now, we just, we had, we had a lot of things that were fine for a while. And then, you know, as, as we were able to sort of keep our head above water a little bit, try, try a little bit more, it's like, oh. I might be a little <laughs> pessimistic. Well, I'm usually, I'm a pessimistic one. They were pretty good. <laughs> and, pretty you know, good. we would talk a lot. Ella Mary and I have spent many time, much time over the years talking about like one to 10 scales. And I have this hypothesis that, like on a one to 10 scale that seven is kind of a steady state and eight doesn't really exist. Eight is like a transition state. And then nine and 10 is like real greatness. And that things tend towards sevens. 
like when they're fives, you know, they could be a little bit better, but when they're sevens, you tend to just like leave it there. And so how do we, how are we willing to always like put the microscope on seven spots that are seven and say, okay, this is good, but what about great, right? This is, this is meeting the needs, but what about way surpassing the needs or the expectations, you know, and not getting bogged down in like what happens elsewhere or like, Oh, if somebody was going to college, they wouldn't have that. Or if some other program like ours want to do this and that, it's like, well, who cares? Cause they can get left in the dust. Like we're going for this level of excellence that most nobody else is willing to pursue and not pursue like in this dogged way over time. Another thing I was going to say, um, Elmer, you reminded me of that with, with staff, like staff grows and staff also changes, right? As we were um, talking about before the podcast about how many people have formerly worked at Turing and almost all of those left on really good circumstances, really good, um, really good relationships, right? And part of one of the big things I didn't understand before Turing I thought that as a boss, you hired people and that there were good people and there were not that great people. And it was like good people are or great people are great and not great people are not great. And where I was wrong, what I didn't understand is that the context changes a lot. And when you people can be great in a context and then in a different context be not that great. People can be not great in one context and be really excellent in another. And and that's proven to be a difficult lesson learned. You know, I, I think back to some of the early people who worked at Turing and they were amazing and they put in so much time and energy and effort. And at the time, if you asked me, like, could you do this without that person? It would say, no, like we're only making it because of this weight they're willing to bear because of the creativity they're bringing to the equation, et cetera. And if you fast forward to now, and if they showed up today, they probably wouldn't like it that much. It's just a different setup. It's not, you know, this like wild west of just like make some stuff for tomorrow. Let's go. Let's see what happens. And then we'll try some different things two days from now. Right now, fast cycles of change are week by week or month by month. And if you're a person who like thirsts for and, and gets your fulfillment from that, like really fast, fast movement, now you're not going to be great in this context. And at the same time, if you took somebody from today, you know, Travis, if, if we took you back to the beginning, <laughs> I don't think in the first, in the third month of Turing, you'd be like, this is great, guys. We're really crushing it here. <laughs> I think you'd be like, hey, what the hell is going on? And how come no one knows? Right? And and that's and that's real. And it's like so those those evolutionary stages of growth were a piece that I didn't understand ahead of time. And I'm I feel so like privileged to have gotten to go through them in a methodical way. Where it wasn't, it, it wasn't like this stage, then this stage, then this stage, then this stage, then like, you know, it was year over year. Oh, this thing is changing. This thing is changing. Okay, these strategies are changing, and you get to you get to build up. You know, I think 
it's it's pretty remarkable to me. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see who shows up in the comments. But like of the let's, I, I think there's a hundred people that have or currently work at Turing, and of all the ones who don't work there, if we called them and we're like, "Hey, could you help us with this thing?" I think just about everyone would say yes. And that's not the way I feel about my past jobs, right? Or, um, and so it, it's just been, I, I think as much as we try and like care for the needs of the students, that comes first. And then the needs and growth and success of the staff comes like a close second. Um, but it's been pretty successful over time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to to, first of all, even just, you know, doing a startup, let alone like the shift and the amount of, to your point, like context of like just different stages and like, what do you do? What do you do next uh, on that point? Right. And like, I think about like your comment of uh, this, like one to 10 scale, like five or like seven or eight, you know, that's pretty good. That probably changes year to year as well. I would imagine, right? Like, cool, we finally hit that mark. Now what's one to 10? What's that range now, right? And so it's a constant thing that changes. Um, and I even think about like the the size of, of staff. Like, yes, now we've got this ability to um, add positions for for things that maybe we've been doing all this time, but maybe trying to fill in those roles, take it to the next step. But there's a lot of challenges that come to, comes in with that as well. You know, it's a lot easier to make decisions and have conversations with four to five people. But when you've got 47 people and you got to try and communicate that across the entire team and make a decision, a lot more work that has to be done. I'm sure for y'all, that's like, <laughs> it's just like trying to convince the entire team every time you want to move forward on something. So, um, I yeah, it, it reminds me... You know, Jeff, the, I think it was two years back when, uh, you know, the entire in instructor team, you kind of, you brought a, a change, a, a thought forward um, for the entire front end and back end team to kind of normalize the way that we were doing projects. You know, uh, having, you know, four projects for every inning, uh, it was one week solo, two weeks paired, two weeks group, and then a final one week solo project. And uh, I'll say there was probably a lot of mixed opinions at that point because, you know, um, people had gotten accustomed to doing it one specific way. And this is the right way to do it for this. Industry. Their own way. Whatever and, their own way happened to be, that was. The yes. Way. Yeah. Yes. And it kind of forced us to kind of like rethink the way that we taught things. So I'm, I'm curious to ask a little bit on this. Like, if you could tell us a little bit more, like what inspired that? And do you think, you know, I'm sure the instructors can't wait to hear on this, but do you think something like that's going to happen again, especially with all the changes with like remote learning and um, modules kind of starting to, I think, shift a little bit? There are there's some some of those pieces that are still there, but there's been also some shifts in in how in that exact structure, depending on the the mod, right? So just curious, like, is that something you're planning on doing again, or? Today, Travis debuting, uh, it, and it relates. Andrew throws in this chat, uh, in the chat, a question about like decision making and is it democratic or high council and whatnot. And I would say 
this is a place where I think I have at least changed my mind over time. Probably it's more of like a grow than just a change. Um, I know what I want. Okay. There isn't a scenario where I'm like unsure about what I want there to be. Turing, going out to dinner, like I don't, there's, there's no situation where I'm like, I just don't know. It's the yeah. only thing I'm good at is making decisions. It's like knowing what I think is the right thing to do and then going and doing it. So we could drop into any Zoom meeting and yeah, as Spivak's throwing in the chat, a, a wonderful quote that is not my quote, I uh, but I I used to joke not joke about, which is like if you have if we have data we'll use data and if we have opinions we'll use mine, and in stages at points I think that can be the right choice, and when it's like chaotic, when things have to move quickly. You know, it's what Ben Horowitz calls uh, like a wartime CEO. You don't always have the opportunity for consensus building. And so sometimes you're going to decide and you're going to tell people this is how it is. And hopefully most of the time you don't need to, right? Hopefully most of the time you can take other approaches. Now you could still be a wartime CEO in peacetime and piss everybody off. Right. Which like, I'm sure there've been plenty of times I've done that. And I, what, I, I am very interested over the last two years, I would say, especially in trying to not so much like distribute power as distribute the responsibility of decisions where I think if, if I make a decision and it's, it sounds funny to me like that this could even happen anymore, but that I'm like, here's how it is. And then I tell all y'all, go do this. There's a part of you that as an instructor can be like, well, if it sucks, it sucks. And we know whose fault it is. Like, I'm just, I'm just doing what I was told to do. Sure. Um, whereas if you are invited to theorize brainstorm, construct a solution, and then go do it, you're much more invested in the outcome, right? And it feels like it's a thing that is for you to own. And when you come back to like your question about the project structure and so forth, I would say one of the hardest things about Turing is people don't do it the way I would do it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And that's like, okay, it's probably good in a lot of spaces, but it's still hard. It's still hard. Like if you imagine a chef walking through their kitchen and watching someone slice an avocado or whatever and be like, well, I mean, I guess, why would you do it that way? You know, that's <laughs> kind of what it feels like sometimes. Um, yep. But over time, I think we get better and better at giving people questions rather than solutions. However, there are still some times where either the coordination is too broad, 
um, you know, if, if I was coming back to that conversation now, I guess I would yeah. feel okay with going to Alex and Will. I mean, obviously with Ellen Mary and say like, look, I want, I think it's best for the programs to line up their project structure, propose me three structures of how they're going to align temporally. And then let's pick one and go with it as opposed to just telling them how it is. But then there's other times where, you know, making decisions is like, um, how do I say it? It's like, sometimes there are decisions where you still have to, or should be like, look, this is my call and I'm going to take the heat if it's wrong. Right. And I go back to, again, like one that looks obvious in retrospect was freaking March, 2020. And I'm reading things and I'm like, Oh God, we got to go remote. We got to go remote right fucking now. Can I say fuck on this YouTube channel? I don't know. But I was like, we got to do it right (laughs) fucking now. And so I'm talking to, I call Ellen, Mary and Courtney and I mean, no from shade Mexico. from Mexico, from, from Mexico, <laughs> no shade on anybody. Right. I think it was Courtney was like, no, we don't have to do that. And I was like, Courtney, we have to do it. We're doing it. We'll tell staff at noon tomorrow. And we're telling students at 5 PM tomorrow. And I'm not talking like that's it. Right. And, it, and then I think you have to have a, de- a really significant degree of like trust and kind of credits in the bank. So that when you're when you're gonna call it and be like, here's how it is, then people say, okay, like I'll give you this one. We'll go with it. We'll see what happens. And it it, it worked out in that case. Um, I don't. I, I think part of having really good people is like a really good team of people around you is knowing when to discuss and when to dictate and when to decide. You know, and trying to find that right balance because there's like appropriate time for all of them. I think there's also a lot of value in the fact that uh, this is a you know if if you're on the inside, you know that Courtney and I disagree with Jeff a lot, a lot, a lot, and we Courtney have, and I were fighting I, on the phone for ninety minutes today. What what I will say <laughs> is we have very healthy disagreements about decisions, what, how we should communicate things, when we should communicate things, when we should make the final decision, who should be involved, why to have multiple people involved. Because when you're, when you have a staff of 47, there are times where you can't take, I mean, we just like can't get to 47 different opinions on how we should do something. And to be fair, you know, when I think about the reason why we have people in their roles is because they are knowledgeable about that role. And so there's only so much feedback, like the circles of feedback that you can get that is really meaningful to that decision. And so I think there's some there's some real benefit in having a team where you can really disagree about a lot of things because it's not, while, while Jeff, and we, we do say this quite a bit, like this is your final call, but like here is our opinion on what we think should happen and here's how we think it should happen. And here's why, because we've talked to these staff members and these people and these employers and these students and like, this is why we think it should happen this way. And I think that piece to me is really like, that's really a, a valuable, right? Because 
when Jeff came, that was when he came back from sabbatical and he said, I want things a different way. And I'm gonna, it's gonna be this way and it's gonna be this way right now. And I think over time I have whittled away at the, at the um, quick turnaround time of when decisions have to be made and how soon they have to be implemented. Because you would, normally he would say, it should have been done this way yesterday. But sometimes now he'll give me to like Friday. And that is like, I mean, that's like a world of time to get people <laughs> on board and to think about what's, yeah. what are we concerned about and what's going to be a barrier and, you know, how do we, how do we move as fast, as fast as possible? I mean, the, de the decision to go remote, that was overnight. We had a plan. I mean, it was literally, you know, Courtney, <laughs> Courtney and I got to work right away. We said, what is this going to mean? What is it going to mean for instruction? How do we get on Zoom? <laughs> how do we teach everyone how to use it? How do we make this happen? And it, I think that gives, not only is it like credits in the bank, but it's also being able to, like the mission alignment, right? The, the decision alignment that you have and the opportunity that you can say, I disagree with this. Like, I, I don't I don't think this is the best. Place. And so we have to talk that out a lot so that we can really understand like what are those different perspectives and why, you know, while, while Jeff will say like, this is this is on me and this is this is like my shoulders right it's like courtney and i are trying to really hold those two pieces up and say like you are not in this alone and so how do we sort of share that responsibility for an organization that we care so deeply about that has 47 people and serves you know hundreds of students every year and i think that to me is such an important part of like how Turing operates is that we we have to be able to disagree. And in fact, it's better when we do, because if we just had people who said, okay, every single mm -hmm. time, I, I don't think we would be very good. I don't think we would be in the place that we are with the level of not only like systems and structures as a student comes into the program, but also in the level that of instruction that happens now, because that there's so much value in us being able to say, I think there are different ways to do this. And let's like try one. And if it if it doesn't go well, we're gonna change it. And number two is like, if you don't if you don't agree, I think you know both Jeff and I came from K twelve education, and I think in K twelve education there's a real challenge of uh, dictating how things need mm. to be because you feel like you have a lot, you have a big staff, you have a lot of people, you have to get everyone on the same page as soon as possible because students are in your classroom tomorrow this morning, whatever it might be. And I think that really leads to people feeling super disempowered. And when they, you know, aren't really on board, they're not really trying that hard. They're not really thinking about critical ways to problem solve and be flexible. And like, we all know where we're headed. So therefore, like, if we're all know where we're headed, we can be good problem solvers along the way. And I think that's, you know, we're, we're both we, we both have that experience of knowing what that feels like on the other side. And I think there's a lot of value in how we think about in particular, you know, that I'm, I'm always focused on the instructional side is like, I'm not in the classroom teaching every day. Our instructors are teaching every day. So if they are not feeling like they know where we're headed, they're on board, they have their opinion matters and their expertise matters, then we're probably not setting them up for success. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking about also like similar and, and and harder, I think, was our decision to stay remote, you know, and 
it would be reasonable to assume that we went through like a multi-month research process. And the reality is we had a two hour meeting, right? And in that moment, for me, and I don't know, maybe it's not right, but the way I think about it is like, this is a decision that could ruin everything. So I don't want anyone else to have that on their conscience. Like that's, that's my job is to hold on to that. Right. And it's like, well, we didn't ruin it so far. And then on the flip side, if you really want to see Ellen, Mary and Courtney get pissed off is when I, or we discuss something, I tell them how I want it. And they're like, cool. Would you tell these people? And I'm like, no, I will not tell them. And like, but why won't you just tell them how you want it to be? And I'm like, no, I will ask them. We can ask them how they want it to be. And we can try and nudge it the way I want it to be. But no, I'm not going to tell them. And especially Courtney's not here today, but she's definitely the one. She's like, why won't you just tell them? And I'm like, I will not tell them because I don't have to tell them. Right. Mm-hmm. If they, if we can ask them, prod them, nudge them, and and they come to a decision, they come to a plan that's likely as good or better than the plan I was going to tell them. Then I want them to go through the practice of seeing problems, making plans, putting it into action. Not as Ellen Mary's talking about getting external plans, hating them, and resentfully going along with them anyway. Right? Because if they're if people can be in a place where they are the experts on a scenario and they see problems and they believe in themselves as people who can, who can change the scenario and then theorize that change, put it into practice, evaluate it, iterate it, all that stuff. Now you're developing them as, as leaders, as organizers, as managers, et cetera, while also hopefully serving the students better along the way. And, you know, time is the other piece that came up in there that is always, I don't like to wait. I got no patience and I hate waiting. That's the old quote. Um, That's right. And (laughs) the reason for it is because students only get one chance. And almost nobody comes to Turing twice. So when you talk about... We've got this insight for mod four. We're going to do things differently. Let's do it three months from now. To me, what we're saying is if you're in mod four right now or the next mod four, the mod four after that, sorry, like you get a seven, even though we know there's a nine, we know how to do it. We're just not willing to do it just yet. That's what I'm like. No, it'll be now. It'll be tomorrow or next week. And that's where, you know, something we've been talking about a lot the last couple of months, especially is this idea of being mission driven, of having this mission statement and like trying to chase after it. A lot of times in the world, or at least in America, being mission driven is code for like being really nice. And we're not like profit driven or whatever. We're mission driven. That's not what mission means. It to me, being mission-driven means that you chase after the mission even if you don't like the answers, right? Even if you don't like, like, I don't want to be remote, Travis. I like being in the yeah. office. That's where my sure. favorite people were. 
He loves sure. being in the office. I Let's love being clear. in the office. Yep. But it's not the Jeff School of Software and Design. And in the mission, it doesn't say like serve students unless you don't like the answers, then do whatever you want. Right. It's like go after this mission. And if remote work shows you that students graduate at a higher rate and get jobs faster, then there's no fucking discussion left. It's over. You're a remote school now, whether you like it or not. And at the end of the day, it's like the mission has to outlast all the people. Right. So God forbid Travis is like, I just can't with this remote, y'all. Like, I'm going to an office. Then we have to say, like, Travis, we love you, appreciate you, and we'll see you soon. Because we're going after the mission. We're not going after making friends. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I really do. Um, so many great, great points there. And um, I, I know we got, we got a quick question in the chat from Travis. He's uh, hey, asking, do, do y'all use any kind of like decision framework like Rapid? I've never even heard of this before, Travis. So I, I was like, <laughs> per usual... Habe's got some good ideas I don't even know about. So <laughs> we have we have actually well, Travis, I do know what it is. And I would say it's still there there's still a lot of uh I think as Jeff explained his decision making, there's I don't know that he would fit into any framework because you know, <laughs> as we talked about, Jeff, you are the extra in the in the extraordinary. So that that it doesn't doesn't really fit in a framework, but yeah, there's there's definitely some I would say we thought about and and tried to also align to some of the larger frameworks around you know thinking about communication, thinking about teams, thinking about right. We just did uh you know re redid a staff inclusion survey where we were really thinking about some of the some how do we like the long process of getting everyone's opinions and thoughts and reorganizing it and making it so that it really was something that was reflective of our team. So um, also Travis said yeah. that checks out. So I, I feel confirmed in my. <laughs> I think our decision-making process by which I, I think highly overlaps with my own decision-making process is ask a lot of questions and just like, but what about, but what about, but what about layer after layer until the person answering the question also knows what the answers are. Do you know, like it, it starts to become clear. And usually what I think people need help with is that when you're an expert in a problem, when you're doing the work, you're so close to it that it's like, you can't see what would it be like to wipe it all away. Right. If you take, um, you know, this is the old like Henry Ford quote of like, if I asked my customers what they'd want, they'd say a faster horse. And like, if you're too close to the implementation, you can't imagine, or it's difficult. It, it, it's like a real stretch of the muscles to imagine what would be possible. And so I think for like, when we're in our three person team, it's kind of, we're all doing that. And then when we're working with other teams, that's really what I'm looking to do when we discuss things is like, I, I want to understand what you're learning from the thing right in front of you. And then let's try and step back and say, what if it wasn't like that? What if it didn't exist? What if you had different staff? What if you had different time? What if it happened at a different space until you start to go like, oh, well, I like that one. And it's like, okay, well, let's do that. I've got, I've got, I know we're kind of at the hour mark, but I have one more question for y'all. 
If you did we get through uh, how many questions did we get through, Travis? Like three? I don't know. We, like, yeah, three. So that's <laughs> great. We nailed it. Um, but I, I have one more question because we talked a little bit about, you know, the past. We've talked a little bit about the present and some of the decision making behind that. And I'm curious, just like one more question, looking a little bit towards the future. You know, I think like it's pretty clear. Turing's grown a lot, whether it's the staff or it's the processes or it's the programs to now being the first and only accredited boot camp, like, a lot of uh, a lot of growth has happened and i'm curious to hear like for y'all like what is the next step um you know next big step moving forward with turing do you think it's is it changing the number of students or what is it and how does that kind of like align uh with the with the mission there because you know i think jeff you've asked me this question in the past where it's like what does turing look like or like what does what does Travis look like, you know, five years from now? So I'm asking you now, like, what does Turing look like five years from now? What's that next big step? Well, I have thoughts on this, Travis, that I haven't exactly told Elamary yet. Oh, so maybe she should go first. I, I, did, I did ask him today, like, what new things will I learn on this podcast today? Um, sure, I'll go first. I think that Turing five years from now looks really different because it has to. Yeah. And if you think about Turing five years ago, it looks really different. Um, Very true. Like, how do you, what makes you say it has to? Like, couldn't yeah, we just well, keep, we could I, just keep I mean, doing I'll, this? I'll give you a really concrete example of what I think All has right. to look different, right? So uh, March 2020, we said we're a remote. We're going to be a remote for, I believe we said one inning to start. Two, two innings, I think we said two innings to start, right? And then very soon after that, we had to, we had to make the decision, right? We're, we're gonna be a remote program. And I think in between then and even right now, it's like we've been in sort of this COVID response time where we've figured out some things and we took some of the good things from in-person and tried to figure out what does it look like in a remote, but I, I believe that we are just on the very beginning of understanding what phenomenal remote instruction looks like or a phenomenal mm. like remote program looks like. Um, and I think we're just on the very edge of like, as, as Jeff, you just said, right? I, I think right now when people think of remote school or remote instruction, they're like, um, I do, I do some reading on my own and then I post in a discussion group and I like get some feedback. And we're not that way anyway. We're a live remote program. And I think we're just on the edge of thinking through, like of really being able to leverage technology and technology is changing so quickly and just like what we can do in Zoom rooms from in the last year has changed significantly. Thinking about some other software that could really create some interesting spaces. I think we're starting to explore more of a flipped classroom model of, how do we push students to do things on their own async and really leverage async because it can be such a great thing to not have to you know to have the time to reflect and think about things differently and look at feedback in a different way and um and i think we're just on the edge of that and so i would say like on a very concrete example i i believe that remote instruction a year from now looks like we we are really figuring out what that looks like and we are changing things up and we are in a place where we're really starting to leverage this like remote community that we haven't mm -hmm. quite been able to do because we still have been in 
and like most people have been in survival mode for a lot of the last, you know, two years really. And so I think there's there's a real opportunity there. And I, I'm really excited about what we can do in that space. And so I would say I'm the most like, you know, granular piece of like, this is gonna look different. And I think Turing looks different. I think that there's then the continued question that we ask ourselves, which is because, you know, and Jeff, you can speak to this, obviously there, people ask all the time, are you getting bigger? Are you gonna open up in new places? Are you gonna add more people? Are you gonna add more programs? Are you gonna serve more students, right? And so there is this, this like constant outside pressure and yet we have to keep coming back to like, why? Because why not just, in some ways, like, why not just be great at what we do and, and get better at that? And we still have things to improve on. But I think there are some really interesting and unique places where we can serve a real role as long as it continues to be mission furthering. And I think that mm -hmm. means, you know, really considering, you know, who, what is the student body? What is the population? How do we continue to be in that space? What are the next opportunities in tech? Um, you know, how do we think about creating and like really being a part of that ecosystem? And again, we have the privilege to do that now because we have so many pieces in place and, you know, accreditation has been, a, 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 again, like this other opportunity to look at our program and really solidify some of the pieces and ensure that we're doing right by students and now thinking about, you know, Title IV funding and all of the really amazing benefits that come with that. And so how do we continue to meet and serve our mission? How do we think about expanding the number of students um, in a responsible way, right? Because it takes time to really build something um, that is gonna be successful. And so I, I believe that Turing five years from now looks really different. Love it. What about you, Jeff? Different, similar? Uh, said I'm, so, earlier, I'm ready. I'm just ready. I'm ready. What do you got? Go. I said <laughs> earlier, you know, I think good decisions look obvious in hindsight. And so when, and similarly, like good ideas, I think aren't that exciting. They're not like, what? We would have never considered this, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I was thinking that. Oh, so-and-so said that three weeks ago, et cetera. Um, we spent about a month ago now, we spent a couple days as like a director's team. And, and a lot of that time was spent on like a five-year vision. And kind of, honestly, it was more than anything else, a level check to make sure that we were all kind of along on the same path of thinking that we're not trying to go like massive within the next five years that it's like, let's grow, let's add a program every once in a while, but we're not trying to like 10 X the whole thing. And so that was a really good conversation. Um, people in the know will know that we have some things brewing inside that we're not allowed to exactly publicly share out, but we expect to see some of those in motion within the next like calendar year. And having those pieces, having that clarity on the five-year plan and so forth started pushing me more down the road of like, what about the, what about the X year where X is more than five, like 10 or 15 or 20. And I know what the answer is. I don't know what the X is yet. 
And I was starting to think about like, should I make it an even number? What about we start in 2014? What if it's the 15th? And, or, you know, what, what, what's the deadline for this plan? But I have, um, you know, I think COVID, the COVID era for a lot of people has led to great reflection, right? Realignment of priorities, life changes, good and bad, ups and downs and so forth. And something I have come to accept during COVID is that Turing is probably the most important thing I ever do. Like, this is it. So what does it look like then to do it all the way? And what I think, what is compelling me now as the, let's call it 15-year plan, is what in my mind I've been calling like Turing for life, which is that Turing as a community and as an organization becomes a not a pipeline because a pipeline has a start and an end, but becomes a structure where people can enter and leave at multiple stages of their career and maybe more than once. So almost like a spiral, some double helix, yada, yada up there, right? Where for kids, high school kids, elementary school kids, middle school kids, I don't know, like maybe we're running, maybe we're taking the lessons we've learned from Code of Classy and we're running summer camps. Maybe we're training uh, teachers who are going to teach computer science or run an after school program or whatever, right? Then after people graduate high school, maybe we're offering like a real, a college alternative, not in the sense of spending the time of college, but achieving the mission of taking you from a high school grad to an employed professional, right? In a way that's approachable and reasonable for a person with limited, aka zero professional experience, right? Which is not, the, the programs we have right now are not well-situated to serve that population, right? So how do you build a program? How do you build the work partnerships, the recruitment partnerships, et cetera, to do that? Then you have this next tier that is what we've been doing, right? The people that are generally 22 to 35 and they're looking to make a career change, right? So that's kind of like the next level up. And so that's back end and front end and data science and DevOps and all those pieces. And then there's this top tier which is it's like career enablement, career enhancement, right? Which is I want to come for a three-day seminar and learn about this technical topic. I want to do a two-week evening class about how to manage up, right? And start to work better with my team or some stuff like that. Like you're an employed professional, you're in the field. And now how, when you're, I mean, um, some of these commenters we have here are obviously future CEOs and CTOs, not only because they're here on our comments, but because they're very smart, hardworking individuals. And when somebody says, like, I've been out of backend for six years, I've gone from junior dev to developer, senior dev, I want to be CTO. How do I do that? Hmm. I don't know. But I think we could find out and I think we could help them get there. 
right? So I think the, I don't know, 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 year plan, whatever it takes is this approach where you can come in to this community at any of these stages. You could come in as a high school kid. You could come in as somebody working as a professional in the field, somebody who's job changing, somebody who graduated high school and is looking for their first professional work. And you can get accelerated into something new, like into closer to being the person you want to be. And maybe you whip around and maybe you start at the high, at the elementary level, and then you're in the high school program, and then you're in the post high school program, and then you're in the career change program, and then you're VP of this and that. I'm like, wouldn't that be fucking cool? Where else can you do that? I don't think I don't think anybody does that. It's not a reasonable thing to do. So then it's like, well, I'm an unreasonable person. <laughs> Super interesting. Um, I'm actually very curious. I'm very excited seeing, you know, seeing the connection and and just even in some of the discussions uh, that have been had internally as well. So I appreciate both of y'all um, sharing on on all of these parts and um, giving us some kind of some of the insider things that are happening um, as a team. Both, you know. Uh, in the past, present, and in the future, and uh, looking forward to the many years that that come as well. So, um, appreciate both of you. Thank you. Um, I think that about wraps it up for today's show. Um, but yeah, just appreciate the the transparency, uh, especially with our listeners, and just making the time to to hang out and talk. So, uh, I really uh, appreciate y'all, and much thanks to our listeners as well. What they're you're listening in live uh, on YouTube or tuning into us on Anchor, Spotify, or, or Google Podcast. Um, and if you like the show, please do uh, support us by subscribing to the channel. Like and subscribe, uh, people. Ahead. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Yes. Um, so looking ahead at next week, I'll actually be joined by uh, Hannah Kim, who is a 2005-2006 alumni. Uh, she's been working at ShipShape for the last six months. And... Uh, yeah, just super excited to catch up with her more and hear about her experiences with the job hunt and what her new position's like at uh, as a software engineer there. So um, make sure to tune in next Monday at 4 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, that's, again, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, y'all, thanks for listening. Stay safe until next time, and we will catch you all later.